Good morning, everyone. Hey, if you got a Bible with you today, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be looking at 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. When you got it, say you got it. I think everyone's got it. Very good. Dirty Harry, does anyone remember him? It's a lot of excitement this early in the morning. Dirty Harry, played by the iconic Clint Eastwood. Right? Right. I just found this out a couple weeks ago, Chris. I'm a, little, I'm a little too young for that, apparently. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Pray for me. Pray for me during the service. Clint Eastwood, friends, apparently he's a man's man, you know? Um, and the character Dirty Harry, he was playing an inspector that especially liked to take on violent crimes. And you probably remember one of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. There's an actual list of them where he's in front of a bank and he has this, yet not just the the iconic actor, but the iconic actor holding an iconic handgun, a revolver. They're not the same thing, apparently. Do you remember what he says when he's, when he's, pointing it at the robber? Yeah. You remember it. I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to do the Clint Eastwood voice. I won't do that. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth and all the excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But being that this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, it will, I'm not saying the rest of it. We're not saying the rest of it. You've got to ask yourself the question, do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? It's in the top 100 movie quotes of all time. And, you know, that might be a way to deal with bad guys. That that might be one way to deal with bad guys. I really think, and this is how I was trained, and maybe you do this too, when we share the gospel of Jesus with people, the way that we come about it is very much, click back, turn or burn or do you feel lucky and we offer them this Occam's razor kind of approach it's certainly better to live in a world where there is a God who extends grace to us than to live in a world where there is no God at all that's certainly true what if instead though we thought more like the missionary Paul rather than Dirty Harry when we communicated the gospel of Jesus to people? Or what if we thought like the missionary Jesus when he gave the gospel away to people? Jesus had a hard word for a lot of the religious folks in his day. That's absolutely true. But Jesus is the consummate 
missionary. One who is sent by the Father to live amongst a particular group of people. And he, there's this word that we're going to use throughout our time together today. He contextualizes. Meaning he helps his audience make sense of the message that he presents. What if instead of us being dirty Harry, what if instead we were Harry Schweinsberger, who was a missionary for the IMB in the 1940s? In other words, if we're generous and gratuitous in our gospel giving, in our gospel sowing, in our gospel conversations that we have with people, We need to learn how to contextualize the message of the gospel well to lost people who do not have the same values as you and I, who do not have the same vocabulary as you and I. Quick, fun, maybe sad story, actually. When we were talking about VBS earlier this year, hi, Debbie, I see you back there. Debbie had a startling realization in helping us like think as a group of missionaries. Did you know that lost people like my generation and younger have no idea what VBS means? Right? And so when we're inviting people to come participate in something like that, it could very well be any acronym at all, not knowing what... VBS truly is. We need to help people understand what the message of the gospel is. And so if you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word, please? Starting in verse 19. This is what God has for us this morning, inspired by the spirit, written by Paul. He says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all. Though I'm free, I'm a slave. I'm a servant that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is what God has for us today through his word. You can be seated. And so if we're asking the question, what does it look, to, what does it look like to contextualize or help lost people make sense of the gospel? We're not saying that it's not a spiritual endeavor. We need the spirit of God to intervene on their behalf as Christ has already intervened on their behalf. And the Father is the one that sends us on their behalf. But we need to do the hard work of thinking through what does it mean to help them understand the message of the gospel. First, it requires knowledge. It requires knowledge. There's intentional 
Contextualization, it means that I have knowledge of the people that I live with, the people that I live around, the community in which I'm neighboring with people. And so we need to assess the cultural landscape and we need to ask questions about ourselves. When we talk with them, what is it that they hear? What is it that they hear? When they see us living amongst one another, we should ask the question, what is it that they see? What is it that they see? We have to ask, what are the roadblocks that we're gonna run into as we are loving our neighbor towards Christ? What are the things that are stopping up their ears? What are things that we might say or not say that might otherwise throw up roadblocks that are not a result of the gospel? Look with me. If you notice throughout the passage, verses 20 through 22, there are four different groups of people that Paul is addressing throughout here, right? He addresses Jews. He addresses those that are under the law, which are presumably Gentile converts to Judaism. He then addresses Gentiles. And then he says, finally, I become even weak to those that are weak. Paul uses specific language. He says that he enslaves himself. He becomes a servant. He leverages his freedom so that he might serve other people people. Paul became those things. Literally, he says, when it says that he became, it's, it's that he is being made into that kind of thing. You can maybe think of Paul as like a Mr. Potato Head for a moment, if we're not going to be so crass and offensive about Paul the Apostle, right? When you have Mr. Potato Head, what, what can you do with Mr. Potato Head? All sorts of things, can't you? You can put different shaped eyes on him. You can give him a different kind of mouth. You can move his arms up and down. It doesn't change who Mr. Potato Head is though, right? He's quite customizable. He's pliable. And Mr. Potato Head is very much happy to be that for little kids. Paul's saying, I'm happy to be all things to all people. In order to become all things to all people though, that necessarily means that we need to know our audience. We need to know our neighbors. We need to know the people that we work with. We need to know our family members. One of my heroes I learned this from, this guy named Rick Bond, he was in student ministry for decades and his son Adam trained me like I, I, I learned from him I'm grateful for his ministry in life but having a conversation with Rick as he was breaking through into student ministry back in the 60s one of his mentors was really quick and pointed out to him love students really well but you can't do it in loafers why? There's nothing wrong with wearing shoes. I'm wearing them right now. It's not that there's anything wrong with being clad like that. 
But you and I live, we live in a different kind of context, a different kind of world. We live in a pre-existing context where our call isn't to go into a culture and change that particular culture. Instead, it means learning the language. It means learning what makes the people's heart beat. It means learning their beliefs. It means what would it look like to serve a single mom well who lives in our context today? It means asking the question, what, what do public school, middle schoolers deal with on a regular basis? If we're thinking contextually, if we're thinking like missionaries, it means that what, what do boomers who do not attend church or are de-churched or unchurched, what do they think and feel about the church today? We don't come in to change the context. We're called to preach an unchanging gospel to that context and to that culture and people that exist within that culture. But it starts with having knowledge about what they value and love and treasure. We do ministry, we, we give the gospel away, we, we do all of this based upon what we know about our context. And that lends itself well than to being present with people. Ministry of presence. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. That alone is a massive statement and perhaps it's one of the biggest Statements and difficult passages, hard words for us to hear, especially in an American context where we value freedom above most other things. It was really encouraging to see so many people in here stand up as veterans who have served for our country. That's really incredible and cool. And it's, I, I can't imagine the honor that, that, that it must be to serve your country in such a way. And they should be rightly honored. I'm gonna be a little risky though for a moment. What if the church was known to be the most servant-like of all? What if we leveraged our freedom in such a way that we were happy to serve lost people where they were at. Paul's brand of servitude, it wasn't, it couldn't be done at an arm's length and it couldn't be done from a distance. I think that we take this for granted because Paul writes a lot of letters to a lot of different churches. We forget that he plants these churches in in a particular social setting though. He's writing to Corinth right now as one who planted Corinth. He writes to the Philippians knowing that he spent time with them. When he wrote the book of Ephesians, he's writing to them not as someone that doesn't know them personally. He knows them by name. 
So we can never forget the ministry and service of presence. Paul was happy to go to synagogues and to the cultural spaces like the Areopagus in Mars Hill in Acts 17. Paul loved giving the gospel away in open market spaces. He loved doing this. So when we contextualize, it means necessarily presence. It necessarily means proximity. People need to be near you in order to hear you. Let me say that again. People need to be near you in order to hear you. This is a summons for us to rub elbows with people. You might be thinking, though, well, this was Paul's particular ministry. Paul received this ministry from the Lord Jesus. He loved to be a servant. He wanted to be a servant. And to be very sure, the church's marching orders are very simple. It's to make disciples of all nations. And the best picture that we have of this is Jesus himself spending intentional time with the weak, with the religious, with the non-religious, with the broken, with the strong, calling them to repentance and then ultimately dying for them and rising again. Jesus won the right to be heard. Jesus won the right to be heard with 12 men who would go on to be missionaries themselves. And their testimony and their witness to us is one, go and do likewise. So in order to proclaim, we've got to rub elbows with people and we've got to be with them for the long haul. People need to be near you in order to hear you. You're moving down the outline with me though. Presence is a big deal. Proclamation is a big deal, though, too. We want people to hear us, don't we? We desperately want to hear or let people hear us. Not because we are special, but because Jesus' message is what redeems lost people. It changes their eternal destiny from hell to eternal life with him, always and forever. That's what he's about. And that's what we have to be about. Paul's service, his knowledge, his presence, all of it was for what? Look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And we have to be really careful about what we mean when we say gospel work and proclamation. When we use words like ought sometimes, it implies that if we don't do a particular thing, that we're somehow being disobedient. Example, food pantries are good and good for you. We should do them. We should do them, Andrea. Everyone should volunteer for them. Or it'd be rad if we did. 
lifelines are good and good for you. Serving our community is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. The primary mission of our church, though, is not merely to do socially good things. The primary mission of our church is to give the gospel of Jesus away and help people learn how to follow him. And one of the ways in which we do that is through food pantrying. It's through caring for little kids and making sure that they got warm stuff to wear. This is why we do what we do. We do things to establish footholds. Even in how we do life with other people, even in how we do marriage counseling. I had an opportunity to, this is a good time to come to this actually. This week I had an opportunity to hang out with a young man who's been having some struggles. Um, significant struggles, marriage kind of struggles. Did you know that you could share the gospel in almost any situation of life? Any situation that a lost person is going through, you can bring the gospel to bear and show how Jesus can respond to their brokenness and sadness and hopelessness. The conversation started with him sharing significant difficulty with his spouse. He's heard the gospel before. He's never responded to the gospel, though, in repentance. He's never said to Jesus, I want to follow you all my days. Do you know how we got there? We got there through a passage in the Bible, Ephesians 5, that talks about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church who loved her and gave himself up for her. Question, how did Jesus give himself up for his bride? Another way to ask is how do we receive grace from Jesus because Jesus pursued us? And so I, I want to draw attention to this thing again. As, as important as it is to, to measure Sunday school and church attendance and budget and those kinds of things, the most important thing that we could measure is faithfulness in gospel giving. I challenge you, I ask you to dig deep into the word so that when you've got lost people coming your way, whatever it may be for food or for marriage counseling, may God send people with broken marriages your way so that you can minister to them. This is one of the most important things that we do though. We proclaim the goodness of Jesus. We preach Jesus. And may we never be a group of people that preach anything less than Jesus and what he's done and how he's rescued sinners and how he offers hope to the hopeless. May we be a church that exists for the hope of North County. So we trust the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do.
Look next, look at, look at the choice that we have. How comfortable is Paul with this kind of lifestyle in being a servant or a slave for other people? Look at 23 again. He says that I do it all. All of my life, the kind of job that he had when he was a tent maker, the kind of preaching that he had, the kind of relationships that he intentionally developed, he does them all so that he might win some. And so you and I, we have a very real option to present the gospel in our context today. Intentional gospel giving, intentional generous gospel giving, intentional contextualization means that we're making choices to connect the gospel to people's lives. Learning the culture around us is very hard. Learning a different language is sometimes very hard. But Paul says that it was worth it. So less dirty Harry here, okay? And more Harry Schweissenberg. This is what the IMB said about him just recently. Harry Schweissenberg, he pleaded for more missionaries to be sent to Columbia in the 1940s. Even as he wrote about a tremendous Sunday that some churches had had recently experienced. After concerted outreach efforts, one Baptist church had 40 more in attendance than the missionaries had previously anticipated. And the second church exceeded its goal by 85 there were more than 500 people in attendance on this one Sunday to just study the word of God. There was a spirit of victory evident in the hearts of all. Well, the 400 people returned at night for a baptism service where 15 people were added to the church that day. Less dirty Harry, more Harry like the missionary in the 1940s who loved the Colombian church, spent time with them proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. He had a choice to do that though. When you're given the choice to give the gospel away and help people connect the kingdom of God to the normal everyday life, what choice do you make? I hope that you would make it your priority. And that's the final thing. If we would define evangelism in any way, it would be the intentional teaching of the gospel of Jesus with the aim of persuading others. And that's how verse 22, that's how it closes, isn't it? To the weak I became, the, became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul wants to do this to win all kinds of people, all sorts of people. More Jewish people added to the church that day. 
More Gentile people added to the church that day. If everything else falls apart, And every method and every concept and every idea that we had failed in trying to reach people. What is the only thing that's left to do that we could possibly do? In all of your efforts to try to reach your neighbors and reach your kids and they all fall flat on their face, what's one thing that you can do? You could still, you can pray, and you could still be faithful in giving them the gospel. Preaching the cross is foolishness. That's part of the context of, of 1 Corinthians, right? He's giving us a blueprint of what church life is supposed to look like, and it's dominated and governed by a spirit of love that's constantly outpouring itself for the sake of other people even at the risk of looking dumb and foolish to other people. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to some, but it's the only thing that can change people's hearts and illuminate their minds. And so we preach Christ through the power of the Spirit. It is a spiritual endeavor that you and I are invited to follow Christ on. What is the most important thing that you have in your life? The most important vocation that you have in your life? What would it look like if making disciples was the most important thing? I think I can see what it would look like here. making Christ our priority, every, every member here would see themselves as a missionary. In your heart of hearts, do you see yourself as one that's sent out into the world by God himself to seek and save the lost? Did you know that Jesus sent you out into the world to proclaim his goodness and mercy and certainly his justice and holiness. Every member leaning into their identity, that's true. And then every member in every ministry learning how to reach all kinds of people. The role that we have in this life is not to be the movie star like Clint was. And we're not mercenaries doing it for accolades and attaboys. The call that every believer, every brother and every sister is to be a missionary. Are you a missionary today? Do you know who you've been sent to? Do you know what makes them tick? Do you know what keeps them up at night? Do you know their burdens and sorrows? Do you know how the gospel could address the things that break their heart? Do those people know you at all? Do they know that you want to be around them, spend time with them? Do you see why you're sent to them? 
Do you engage them in faithful, biblical ways that don't shy away from the cultural differences that those that belong to the kingdom of God and those that belong to this world? Do do you share in, in, in specific ways, faithful ways, not shying away from the differences that we have? And do you do all that you can do to win some? Will you be generous in gospel giving this season? Will you make it a massive aim of your life to not just add people to the kingdom, but also walk with them to help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his kindness. Thank you for his mercy. Someone that grew up as a Jew, he learned how to engage Gentiles. He learned how to engage all kinds of people. Jesus, we want to be like that. You came to do that. We don't have the kind of reach that you do. We individually don't have the kind of reach that Paul did. But no spaces that you have us in. Jesus, would you help us see? Would you root it so deep in our hearts so that we can see and act upon our identity as missionaries? This is who we are. Not just the gathered assembly, but also the church scattered for the glory and fame of Jesus. Father, we love you. And Father, we love lost people too. May we keep the main thing the main thing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.